6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of 2 Chronicles, chapters 29 through 32. And the congregation brought in sacrifices and thank offerings, as many as were of free heart burnt offerings. See, some of that was following the prescription. Now it's, it's it, it, the analogy you might draw. You have your tithes, but you haven't done an offering until you've made your tithes. Your offering is what comes beyond what you're required, is the idea. Okay. And the number of the burnt offerings which the congregation brought was threescore and ten bullocks, a hundred rams and two hundred lambs, and all these were for a burnt offering to the Lord. And, and the consecrated things were six hundred oxen and three thousand sheep. But the priests were too few. So they could not flay all the burnt offerings. Wherefore their brethren, the Levites, now they weren't priests, they were Levites. You understand the difference? A priest was a Levite that was a direct son of Aaron. The rest were called Levites. When you say Levites and priests, the priests were Levites too, but they're a special class. They're under descendants of Aaron. Anyway, at this point, their brethren, the Levites, did help them till the work was ended, until the other priests had sanctified themselves. For the Levites were more upright in heart to sanctify themselves than the priests. <laughs> and also the burnt offerings were in abundance with the fat of the peace offerings, the drink offerings for every burnt offering. So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. So all this, sees, all this has occurred in the first month. Caused lots of rejoicing. Hezekiah rejoiced and all the people that God had prepared the people for the thing was done suddenly or quickly. Now we come to the great Passover. Chapter 30. Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah. Let's stop for a second. Who is he sending to? The northern, what's left of the northern kingdom. They, Assyrians had taken a large number of them and deported them. They no longer exist as a kingdom. There's still people living there. These are the tribes that people think somehow got lost. Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh, these are the largest segments of the northern kingdom, that they should come to the house of the Lord of Jerusalem to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel. The very fact that they're living up north implies that they were in many generations of idolatry. But they're nevertheless, come on, join us. Get your act together here. For the king had taken counsel and his princes and all the congregation of Jerusalem to keep the Passover in the second month. It may surprise you to know that Passover does not have to be in the first month. There are conditions where it can be observed in the second month. And that's in Numbers 9, verses 10 and 11, among other places. So they, they weren't ready to do it in the first month. So they're going to celebrate Passover appropriately according to the Torah in the second month. For they could not keep it at that time because the priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently, neither had the people gathered themselves together in Jerusalem, and the thing pleased the king in all the congregations. So they established a decree to make proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba, way down south, to Dan, that's way up north, that they should come to keep the Passover unto the Lord, God of Israel, at Jerusalem, for they had not done it of, 
a long time in such sort as it was written. So this is a big deal. This is the great Passover. So the posts went with the letters from the king and his princes throughout all Israel and Judah. No confusion here, right? And according to the commandment of the king, saying, Ye children of Israel, turn again unto the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Isn't that interesting? The Lord God of Abram, Yitzhak, and Israel. You always think of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The word Jacob and Israel are interchangeable. When it's Jacob, he's in the flesh. When he's got his act together, he's called Israel. The name is applied. It's not used interchangeably. It's used subtly. But here we're talking about things are getting together right. The God of Abram, Yitzhak, on Israel. And he will return to the remnant of you who are escaped out of the hand of the kings of Assyria. And be not like your fathers and like your brethren which trespassed against the Lord God of your fathers, who therefore gave them up to desolation as ye see. Now be ye not stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord and enter into his sanctuary which he hath sanctified forever. And serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. Sounds like a good proposition for all of us. For if you turn again unto the Lord, your brethren and your children shall find compassion before them that lead them captive, so that they shall come again into this land, so that your Lord God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you return unto him. So the post shall pass from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, even to Zebulun. But they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. No surprise, they've been in idolatry for many generations. Nevertheless, divers, various ones, of Asher and Manasseh and of Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. So there were some among them that turned faithful. Also in Judah, the hand of God was to give them one heart to do the commandment of the king and of the princes by the word of the Lord. And there assembled at Jerusalem much people, to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the second month, a very great congregation. So we have the people coming together to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and uh, uh, the seven-day festival followed immediately after then the Passover. And they arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem, and all the altars for incense they took away and cast them into the brook Kidron. And they killed the Passover on the 14th day of the second month, and the priests and the Levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought in the burnt offerings into the house of the Lord. And they stood in their place after their manner, according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests sprinkled the blood which they received of the hand of the Levites, and there were many in the congregation that were not sanctified. Therefore the Levites had the charge of the killing of the Passovers for everyone that was not clean to sanctify them unto the Lord. See, normally the laity, see, it may surprise you, a Passover is not a Levitical feast. Passover was given by the head of the family. The laity slaughtered the... They had to go take the temple to have them blessed. But it was a, it was a uh, uh, one for every household kind of thing. And uh, so they... Uh, but here, the laity wasn't cleansed enough to do that. So the Levites stepped in to, They recognized that. He stepped in to do that for them. Because of the, the, the apostasy that they came out of here. So they were ceremonially unclean, and so they couldn't slaughter their own Passover lambs because they weren't ceremonially clean. But that's, a, that's why the Levites had to take charge of killing the Passovers for everyone that was not clean. They're trying to accommodate the, the, the laws for the situation. And for a multitude of the people, even many of Ephraim and Manasseh and Issachar and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves, yet they did eat the Passover otherwise than it was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Lord pardon everyone. 
Boy, he's got a, he, he, when, as soon as Hezekiah realized this, he, he uh, prayed on God that, that he might be pleased. He might be more impressed with the sincerity of their hearts than the, mere, the, the, the matters of ceremonialism here. So Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Lord pardon every one that prepareth his heart to seek God. The Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people. So that's all. This is just a great refreshing change from everything that's gone before. And the children of Israel that were present at Jerusalem kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with, uh, with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with loud instruments before the Lord. And so we know that the, the essence of God's grace is, 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 is evident in the fact that He uh, have a favorable response to the prayer. And so uh, they're all praising God with joy. And Hezekiah spoke, uh, spake comfortably unto all the Levites that taught the good knowledge of the Lord. And they did eat throughout the feast seven days, offering peace offerings and making confession to the Lord God of their fathers. And the whole assembly took counsel to keep the other seven days, and they kept other seven days with gladness. So they extended the whole party another week, okay? <laughs> That's pretty cool. For Hezekiah the king of Judah did give to the congregation a thousand bullocks. This is out of his own pocket, by the way, his own expense. Did give to the congregation a thousand bullocks and seven thousand sheep, and the princes gave to the congregation a thousand bullocks and ten thousand sheep, and a great number of priests sanctified themselves. Wow. And all the congregation of Judah with the priests and Levites and all the congregation that came out of Israel and strangers that came out of the land of Israel and they that dwelt in Judah rejoiced. That was everybody rejoiced. And there was great joy in Jerusalem for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there was not like in Jerusalem. So this is the big return. Then the priests and the Levites arose and blessed the people and their voice was heard and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place, even unto heaven. So God heard from heaven. There it is in record. So now we're going to, this is just the first step. Now they're going to reestablish the temple worship. The reforms continue. When all this was finished, all Israel and all Israel, get that, that were present went out to the cities of Judah and break the images and pieces and cut down the groves and threw down the high places and the altars out of all Judah and Benjamin in Ephraim also in Manasseh, until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned every man to his possession and to their own cities. So they cleaned the land of the apostasy, of the pollution of the idols. And Hezekiah appointed the courses of the priests. Those are the 24 courses. Remember the 24 divisions that, that David really set up? That's very important to understand those 24 courses of the priests. Hezekiah appointed the courses of the priests and the Levites after their courses, every man according to his service, the priests and Levites for burnt offerings and peace offerings to minister and to give thanks and to praise in the gates of the tents of the Lord. He appointed also the king's portion of his substance for the burnt offerings, to wit, the morning and evening burnt offerings, the burnt offerings for the Sabbaths, the new moons, and for the set feasts, as it is written in the law of the Lord. I find that very interesting, the Sabbaths and the new moons. The, the millennial temple that will be established when Christ returns, is going to only be open on Shabbat and the new moons, which is kind of interesting. It won't be open on Sunday. That's kind of interesting. And for set feasts, as is written in the law of the Lord, moreover, he commanded the people that dwelt in Jerusalem to give the portion of the priests and the Levites that they might be encouraged in the law of the Lord. And as soon as the commandment came abroad, the children of Israel brought in abundance, the first fruits of corn and wine and oil and honey and of all the increase of the field, 
And the tithe of all things brought they in abundantly. It's kind of important to know seasons, by the way. I was with a rabbi recently, and he pointed out to me that Jesus, when he, when at, at the night of his, his uh, betrayal, didn't finish Passover. Remember, he, the last cup, he says, the fruit of the vine will yield not until he drinks the new wine with us in the kingdom, right? Well, for him to drink new wine with us in the kingdom, that has to be in the fall. Has to be in the fall. Just thought I'd throw that out for it's worth. Okay? And concerning the children of Israel and the Judah that dwelt in the cities of Judah, they also brought in the tithe of oxen and sheep and the tithe of holy things that were consecrated to the Lord their God and laid them by heaps. And the third month they began to lay the foundation of the heaps and finish them in the seventh month. And when Hezekiah and the princes came and saw the heaps, <laughs> they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. And then Hezekiah questioned with the priests and the Levites concerning the heaps. And Azariah, the chief priest of the house of Zadok, answered him and said, Since the people began to bring the offerings into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and have left plenty. For the Lord hath blessed his people, and that which is left is this great store. Then Hezekiah commanded to prepare the chambers in the house of the Lord, and they prepared them. And he brought in the offerings and the tithes and the dedicated things faithfully, over which Coniah, the Levite, was ruler, and Shemei, his brother, was next. And so they were put in charge of all this excess, extra stuff. And Jehiel, and Azariah, and Nahath, and Ashael, and Jeremoth, and Jezebad, and Eliel, and Ismachai, and Mahath, and Benaiah were overseers under the hand of Coniah, and Shimei's brother at the commandment of Hezekiah the king, and Azariah the ruler of the house of God. And Korah, the son of Imnah, the Levite, the porter toward the east, was over the free will offerings of God to distribute the oblations of the Lord and the most holy things. And next to him was Eden, and Benaiah, and Jeshua and Shemei and Amariah and Jeconiah and the cities of the priests in their set office to give to their brethren by courses as well uh, as well to the great as to the small. You know, as we read uh, through uh, uh, Chronicles, we sometimes get tedious because they list all the names that who did what to whom and what the responsibilities were. Unless you're a very serious student mapping those things, you sort of wonder, you know, why, why is all that here? And I think one of the lessons is that whatever you're doing for the Lord gets recorded. My name. These happen to be here, but I suspect that's true of all of us. We need to recognize that God pays attention and it is a matter of record and, and is noted, not missed. Not missed. Besides the genealogy of males from three years old and upward, even to the everyone that entereth into the house of the Lord, his daily portion for their service in the charges according to their courses but to the genealogy of the priests by the house of their fathers and of the Levites from 20 years old and upwards in their charges by their courses, and to the genealogy of all the little ones, their wives, their sons, and their daughters through all their congregation, for in their set office they sanctified themselves in holiness. Now obviously there's a lot more uh, Levites than priests, and, uh, but the, both the both families of both are, are supported similarly. And uh, the law of Moses forbade the clergy from engaging in secular work to provide for themselves, interestingly enough. And also the sons of Aaron the priests, which were in the fields of the suburbs of the cities, in every several city, the men that were expressed by name to give portions to all the males among the priests and to all that were reckoned by genealogies to the Levites. And thus did Hezekiah throughout all Judah brought and wrought that which was good and right and truth before the Lord his God. And every, and in every work that he began in the service of the house of God and in the law and in the commandments, to seek his God. He did it with all his heart and prospered. 
He did it wholeheartedly. Boy, I wish we could make that same claim. There's a, we talk about faith. There is no merit in faith. Isn't that a shocker? You see, it's not a matter of believing enough. You could believe in the wrong thing. Well, you must just have faith, you hear people say. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Faith in what? That's important. Just having faith. You could believe in the wrong thing. There are many people who die as martyrs for their fanatic beliefs. They're sincere. The Muslims following Allah are sincere. They don't lack sincerity. They don't, they don't lack commitment. They can have ever so much faith, but it is the wrong thing or the wrong person. This summary is something I picked as I was going through, gleaning as I do. I go through dozens of commentaries and try to get some of the insights. This is something that J. Vernon McGee hammered home. I thought, you know, I'm going to just do the same, pick that up. Because we talk about faith. Here, here is Hezekiah. He's faithful, yes, but he's faithful in the right things. And uh, Spurgeon said another way. It is not your hold on Christ that saves. It is Christ. It is not your joy in Christ that saves. It is Christ. It is not even thy faith, though that be his instrument. It is Christ's blood and merit. You remember that. I see so many uh, uh, entertainments so forth. Well, if you just have faith, and they have no grasp of what they're talking about. And that can be, that can be counterproductive. Anyway, let's move on. We're now at the, the fourth of the chapters on Hezekiah, and some problems are starting to surface here. After these things and the establishment thereof, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came and entered into Judah and encamped against the fenced cities and thought to win them for himself. Sennacherib is a powerful, powerful king, and he's now entering the land with, with an eye towards conquest. And when Hezekiah saw that, um, now back up a little bit, um, Hezekiah, when he began his independent reign, broke the treaty that Ahaz had dealt with the Assyrians, and he rebelled against Assyria. So that's why Sennacherib's coming out to get things back under control. And uh, he couldn't do it earlier because Assyria was preoccupied with Babylon, which is starting to get uh, hard to manage. It was a little troublesome city-state within Assyria that's starting to get powerful. And it's going to get so powerful that it won't be very long, a couple genera generation or two, where it's going to knock off Syria, Assyria. But in the meantime, Assyria's got their hands full, so they couldn't deal with this because of the rebellions within the Babylonian provinces. But uh, so Sargon's successor, Sennacherib, now is going to try to straighten things out. So when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib was come and that he was purposed to fight against Jerusalem, he took counsel with his princes and his mighty men to stop the waters of the fountains which were without the city, and they did help him. See, one of the things that he wants to do is conceal the real source of their water for the city if they have a siege. And uh, now, the stream that he's probably talking about is the Gahon Spring. We'll talk a little bit before this chapter is over about the interesting Hezekiah's Tunnel that you can actually visit if you go with us to Jerusalem prepared to, you know, wade knee-deep in water, you can go through his tunnel. But anyway, but there was gathered much people together who stopped all the fountains and the brook that ran through the midst of the land, saying, we sh why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? And he strengthened himself and built up all, uh, all the wall that was broken, raised it up to the towers, another wall without, repaired Milo in the city of David, and 
made darts and shields in abundance. So he's strengthening himself in terms of the weaponry. And he set captains of war over the people and gathered them together to him in the street of the gate of the city and spake comfortably to them, saying, Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him, for there be more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, the king of Judah. This is called leadership, the right kind. Boy. And after this did Sennacherib, the king of Syria, send his servants to Jerusalem. But he himself laid siege against Lachish which, and all his power with him. Unto Hezekiah, the king of Judah, and unto all Judah that were at Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, Whereon do ye trust, ye that abide in the siege in Jerusalem? And so he's asking for surrender here. Doth not Hezekiah persuade you to give over yourselves to die by famine and by thirst, saying, The Lord our God shall deliver us out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Hath not this same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars, and commanded Jude and Jerusalem, saying, Ye shall worship before one altar, and burn incense upon it? See, Sennacherib is assuming that by destroying all these other altars that they've you know, denuded themselves of their support. He doesn't understand that it was, he doesn't understand the living God. Know ye not that I and my, this is Sennacherib talking, I and my fathers have done unto all the people of other lands, were the gods of the nations of those lands in any ways able to deliver their lands out of mine hand? My God's stronger than your God kind of thing here, huh? Who was there among all the gods of those nations that my fathers utterly destroyed that could deliver his people out of my hand? That your God should be able to deliver you out of my hand? You understand his logic. And by the way, he's not saying this in Assyrian. He's saying this in Hebrew so the common people can hear all this. Now therefore let not Hezekiah deceive you nor persuade you on this manner. Neither yet believe him, for no god of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people out of my hand and out of the hand of my fathers. How much less shall your god deliver you out of my hand? And the servant spake yet more against the Lord God and against the servant Hezekiah. He wrote also letters to rail on the Lord God of Israel and to speak against him, saying, As the gods of the nations and other lands have not delivered their people out of my hand, so shall not the God of Hezekiah deliver his people out of mine hand. What do you think Hezekiah did with those letters? No, he didn't insert it where the sun never shines. No, 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 no. What did he, what did he do with those letters? He did a very interesting thing. He took them with him and laid them out on the altar before the Lord. Let the Lord see what's being presented here. I like that. Then they cried out with a loud voice in the Jews' speech, there it is, unto the people of Jerusalem that were on the wall to affright them and to trouble them that they might take the city. And they spake against the God of Jerusalem as against the gods of the people of the earth, which were the work of the hands of man. And for this cause, Hezekiah the king and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, prayed and cried to heaven. Man, when you've got a guy like Isaiah at your elbow, that helps too, you know. Isaiah is quite a guy. He's probably the most articulate guy in the Old Testament. He had the most elaborate vocabulary. He was a royal prophet. Many of the prophets were, you know, in the fringe areas of society. No, no. Isaiah was at court with Hezekiah. It was 
Very interesting guy, very interesting book. You need to study that. And the Lord sent an angel. Now, this doesn't detail it like Kings does and so forth, but he actually, this guy actually takes it and lays it before the Lord and see what they're saying. You know? And the Lord gave him comfort. And he did more than just give him comfort. This little verse is kind of fun. The Lord sent an angel which cut off all the mighty men of valor and the leaders and the captains of the camp, in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he turned with shame to face his own land, and when he was come into the house of his God, that they came forth of his own bowels and slew him there with the sword. That angel that God sent one night after dinner slaughtered 185,000 Syrians. You don't mess with angels. Angels indulge in direct combat. Angels can lead people by the hand. Angels can, can have dinner with people unknowingly, looking like people they want to. They're not like demons. De demons and fallen angels are very different. There's an angel sent by God that slaughtered 185,000. Again, can, I wonder how many Syrians were there. I wonder if they got every other one. That always, le that always leaves a very special impression. Now, he then return, he returns in shame back to his capital. He never again tries to attack Jerusalem. Here they summarize that when he was coming into the house of his God, that they came forth of his own bowels and slew him there with the sword. His own sons kill him. That's 20 years later, by the way. It's just, it's just summarized here by the... By the, by the, by the uh, so God gave him a, a reassuring answer to the prophet Isaiah. That's in 2 Kings 19. The angel that destroyed the Syrian host killed 185,000 Syrians. And sometimes later, the, the, the chronicler you know, doesn't make this point, but sometimes later, he's murdered by two of his own sons in the temple of his god, Nishra. And according to the Assyrian annal, historical annals, this apparently occurred in 681 B.C., about 20 years after the aborted campaign against Jerusalem. So it's a point made, but the duration there is provocative. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of 2 Chronicles. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Music